We had a great time last Sunday night uh, sharing in our heritage service and uh, sang some good songs and, and preached the word and, and was our opening service to this series that uh, I'm going to do. It's just going to be a short series, but uh, I told you that while I was in Florida a couple weeks ago, a few weeks ago now, whatever it's been, the Lord spoke to me pretty clearly about something specific in kind of a different way, and I shared that message the week after Easter. And uh, last week I was praying about what to share in heritage service, and the Lord took my heart to this passage of Scripture in Psalm 37:25 on the screen. It says, I was young, and now I am old, yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging for bread. And I said, okay, God, I get it. I'm going into a heritage service. We're going to be predominantly people of an elder generation. Can I get an amen? Who were once young and now they're old. And I said, I am one of them. I'm 42. I'm getting older every day. And I said, God, I can see it. I understand what we're looking at. I see where David had his issues. And David had done much in his life. And he had, he had brought himself to realize that he had had some circumstances that God brought him through. And, and when you're young, you don't realize until you get older. And you look back and you go, wow, God really was involved in that. And I told him uh, last Sunday night, I, I shared it as, as an example. What in my notes, I said, you know, I, as an older person, 42 years old now, can look back and I see where God's hand was on my life at an early age that I didn't even realize it. For example, when you were young and you would, you, you, your buddy and you would jump over each other with the four-wheeler. And my mom and dad were in the service that night and mom goes... There's probably some more that she doesn't know. And I don't intend for them to come out from the pulpit. But that we would do that. We would lay down and then we would jump the four-wheeler over the other one. Then we would challenge the other one to get further out on the landing point and tell them not to land on me. And, and when the, the wheels are landing this far away from you, it's a little bit of an adrenaline rush. I was young and stupid. But now I'm old. <laughs> and I see that the prayers of my parents weren't forsaken. Amen? The covering and the protection... And God's saying, i got a plan for this boy. I'm going to do something with him. He's not very smart. <laughs> We've got to cover him and protect him. Listen, God is moving and working in people's lives. Sometimes we don't realize it, but when we look back, we can see it. Amen? So I said, okay, God, I'm going to use that passage. That makes sense. I can do that. Well, on Tuesday, that, next, that same week, I'm, I'm in my prayer time, and the Lord speaks to me again, and this time not basically out of just Scripture. He says these words to me, I am your sustenance. And I said, sustenance. And I've already said this, but I'll say it again. I, I had two things. First of all, when I looked up the word sustenance, I found out that I'm a poor speller. I already knew that. I spelled it sustenance. But what I found was this. Means of support. Maintenance. Subsistence. Living. Food. Provisions. Nourishment. The act of sustaining. The state of being sustained. A supplying or being supplied with the necessaries of life. Something that gives support, endurance, or strength. And I said, wow, God, that's really good. And God reminded me, I was young and now I am old, yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging for bread. And God reminded me that no matter what I'm doing, no matter where I'm at, whatever it is that I have gone through in my life or ever will go through in my life, He is my sustenance. 
Folks, this is the message for our church today. We talked about last week Him being our spiritual sustenance. It's by Him that we are saved. It's by Him that we continue to be saved. He has worked in our lives, but He is working in our lives. Amen? God is going to continue to work in our lives in these four areas. Spiritual provision, daily provision, physical provision, and also emotional provision. God wants to do these things in us. And a lot of times we'll limit Him and box Him in in different places and say, God will do that, God won't do this, or God will do that, and God won't do this. And what He's saying to us today is that He is our sustenance. It's Him that provides. It's Him that sustains. And today I want to talk to you about how He is our sustenance for daily needs. How many of you pray before you eat? Raise your hand. Now hold on, put your hands down. It's not worth lying and going to hell over, okay? How many of you, I'm just kidding. How many of you pray before you eat? Amen. I I pray before I eat. And uh, most of the time, I will say sometimes I get hungry. Or if you're at the Mexican restaurant and they bring those, those nachos and those chips and you're eating those with salsa, you don't have to pray over that. You just eat it. Because I don't ever remember to pray until my food comes. So I say, well, Lord, thank you for everything I've ate. Everything I'm going to eat and you do this thing, take water out of your cup and sprinkle it all over. <laughs> People don't always appreciate that, but you know. So I pray over my food, but sometimes God challenges me and says, Bob, are you really thankful? I say, thank you, God, for this food, but the reality of it is this, that I go to work, I get a paycheck, and I go, I go to the store, and I pick out the food I want. I want that, this, Oreos, and I'll take everything. And I throw it into my cart, and when I, they bring it up, I pay for it. You know that's how you pay for things nowadays, right? It's a debit card. I pay for it. I pay for it, I carry the bags to my car, I put the, the bags in my car, I drive to my house, and I take my groceries that I bought with my money that I earned, and I go in and I put them in my pantry, in my refrigerator, in my freezer, in, in my, in, in, and then when I want to eat, I get them out of those things that I own, and I put it into the skillet that I own, and I cook it myself, and then when I eat it, I say, thank you, God. And sometimes... I stop myself because I'm really quick with the thank you. Thanks, Lord, for the food. And I'm not as grateful as I should be. Do you know that there are people in America that have a different outlook on their food than I do? Do you know that 15%, approximately 15% of Americans today, it's not a high number, but it's 15%, are living below poverty level, and they have what is called food insecurity, meaning they don't know where the next meal's coming from or what it's going to look like. Their prayer might sound different than mine because they're not self-supportive. They can't do it. They can't handle working. They may have physical or mental disabilities or other things that they cannot work and they cannot provide for themselves and they cannot do. And so when food does come by the hand of another person most of the time, they step back and they say, thank you, God, because I've done nothing for this. I I can't do anything for this. You know, that's why I'm so glad that we can do this food giveaway coming up on May 5th. 
That's why it's a blessing to the community. The church pays for it. We pay for it. We've, we've, we've designated money for it a couple of times a year to do it. I wish we could do it more, but, but a couple of times is what we've started with. And, and I'd love for people to sign up and come and hand food out. And if you fit into that category where you are in need, please don't hesitate to take food. Nobody's going to judge you for that. That's what it's there for. Amen? Why? Because we want us to, we, we have this problem in America. And the problem is, is that we're self-supported, we're self-functioning, and, and there's a whole lot of self going on. And when there's a whole lot of self going on, you can't really be grateful to God. And our, and our thanks for food is, is 100 miles wide and about this deep. And I've caught myself doing it, and, I, and, and, and the Holy Spirit said, Bob, are you really thankful for this? And has challenged me on it more than once. And folks, I need to grow in this because I need to understand that, that anything can happen at any time. We do not know what tomorrow holds for each one of us. We are not guaranteed a plush life. We are not guaranteed that tomorrow that there, there's not going to be an accident. In this economy that we live in in the last days here, folks, we know that there's going to be a worldwide crash of the economic system. And it's going to happen in a day. We know that, that, that we can get into a vehicle and by no means of our own be hit and be changed for the rest of our lives. We know also that companies change. Doors are closed quickly. Cutbacks happen quickly. Folks, I'm not bringing a bunch of doom and gloom, but reality, there may come a time in our nation before it's all said and done that when we say thank you for our food, we mean it. God is the provision. And it is God, even in my self-sufficiency, that is God that is the one that has made me strong enough to work. It is God that has enabled me with talents and abilities to work. It is God that has given me everything that I have. And even if it seems like I have done this, and I have done that, and I have done this, and and there's provision there by my hand, we need to be reminded it is the grace of God, and it's only by God's hand that we have received anything. But don't worry, I don't come here today to bring any kind of fear. I don't come here to bring doubt or concern into an already unpredictable world. What I'm here to remind you is this. I was young and now I am old, yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging for bread. Everybody say bread. I'm going to talk to you about bread. It is God and it's by His sustaining power that we are sustained. Look at Luke chapter 12 with me. And before we start reading here in verse 21, kind of set this up. Jesus is talking about, uh, telling a parable about a, a wise man, or I guess not a wise man, a foolish man who had such a great harvest. He wanted to build for himself greater barns. And his plan for himself was that he would live in luxury all the days of his life and that all of his needs were met. And he put all of his faith in his sustenance in his grain. He put all of his hope in his grain that he could build up in higher mounds and step back and say, now I can just eat, drink, and be merry. Now I have nothing to worry about. The worries of my food problems are gone. All of this stuff is gone. And Jesus says that this man was called a fool because his life was demanded of him that night. He was so worried about his own sustenance that he tried to make himself rich in provisions, but in the end, he could not sustain his life by it. It's made very clear in the Scripture, and Jesus referred to it in the Old Testament where he said, 
in the New Testament confronted by Satan, he says, man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes out, out of the mouth of God. Amen? And folks, the problem is, is that this man had made his provision his God. And if he could reach a certain level, then he would be fine the rest of his life. Now, before you get too worried about it, I'm not preaching against retirement and nest eggs. I'm talking about selfish living. I'm talking about people who want to pursue uh, their basic needs as though it was their God. In Luke 12, verse 21, Jesus said, This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich towards God. Anybody that takes their wealth and measures it in things or in dollars or in provision, or look how much food I've got here, or look how much... Listen, folks, when we start measuring ourselves against other people and comparing ourselves as though we are great and awesome by what we have achieved in this life, we are in trouble because we have lost sight of the kingdom of God, and we have forgotten about what God has called us to do, and now we have placed all of our faith in our stuff that will perish and cannot save us. If this man had been wise, if he would have been understanding, if he would have been tapped into the kingdom of God, he would have taken his plenty and he would have shared it with those who were in need. If he was a man of faith, he would know that God provided for me and God will continue to provide for me. This is too much for me. I can share it with those who need it. We talked last week about how the Scripture said we lack nothing and we are strengthened by Him. How we are enriched by the Spirit of God and how the same God that saved us is able to keep us saved. This overflows also into our daily needs and every other need of our life. This wealth of blessing that is poured out in our spirit will overflow into our needs as well. Look at verse 22 of Luke 12. Then Jesus said to His disciples, Therefore, I I tell you, do not worry about your life. That's easy. Hey, don't worry about your life. Has anybody ever reached that level of goodness? Never worry about anything? I I didn't think so. Don't worry about your life. What you will eat or about your body, what you will wear. Life is more than food and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable are you, are you than birds? Who of you, is, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the lilies grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. That is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire. How much more will he clothe you O oh, you of little faith. And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it, for the pagan world runs after all such things, and your Father knows that you need them. But seek His kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. And Matthew says, Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and these things will be given to you. This is a difficult thing for us to grasp here in America. This morning, I run the risk in this room of teaching something that all of us are oblivious to. Because most of us don't worry about what we're going to eat, and we don't worry about what we're going to wear. We've got closets and pantries full. I'm not saying all of us feel that way. Most of us do. 
And there may be folks in this room who get it, who understand, who have to live by this principle and have to get up and pray and thank God for what He's going to give them for that day. But folks, I want to encourage you that in these times that are uncertain, that you don't have to be afraid about such things. You don't have to worry about such things. You don't have to, in years to come, weeks to come, tomorrow, who knows what's going to happen. If the bottom falls out tomorrow, your pastor's standing here today to tell you, you don't have to be afraid because your God will provide. He will meet your daily needs. You say, Pastor, that's hard for me to grasp. I understand it's hard for me to grasp, but when you consider the children of Israel, when you consider that God showed up in their lives as He was delivering them from the bondage of the Egyptians, and He, and, and he shows up in a cloud at day and a fire at night, this was before they crossed the Red Sea. And the Scripture makes clear that they, the cloud would lead them, but he, it would go and go behind them and separate between them and the Egyptians. At nighttime, the, the Israelites would have light, and for the, the Egyptians, they would have dark. We know that God is our protector. It's God that's bringing us into a salvation relationship. They come to the Red Sea. They cross through the Red Sea, signifying a salvation salvation deliverance of God to mankind. And we know that the crossing of the Red Sea, what it symbolizes and the work that's done, we talked about that last week. God is our provision. It's Him that saves us. It's Him that delivers us. Delivers us. It's Him that continues to keep us saved. As they walk through, they get to the other side and the first thing they run into is, Hey! We're in a wilderness. We got no water. Well, they found water, and the water was bitter, and they couldn't drink it. Do you know that sometimes our provision seems like maybe it's insufficient? Sometimes what we have in our lives, we have a hard time thanking God for. We complain about it more than we thank Him for because it seems insufficient. When I got married at the ripe old age of 19 years old, very mature, I was a very mature 19 year old. Thank God for April, that's all I can say about that. Making a whopping $7 an hour, marrying somebody that's a full time college student, and we said, we're going to make it. We budgeted everything out. Going to eat ramen noodles at her parents' house and my parents' house as much as we can. But we got to be together. We got to be married. We got to be together. I look back and there's no way. There's no way we should have been able to be sustained. Doesn't make sense. Now, any young person in the room, don't test God. You know what I'm saying? I'm not telling you, do what I did. I'm just telling you, when we're stupid sometimes, God still is faithful to us. And I look over that period of the first four years there. She, she went through three years of school, and I worked for $7 an hour, and I got bumped up a little bit at a time over four years, not much. But in that four-year period, by the end of it, we'd saved up thirty dollars to $40,000 be, to begin building our home. Why? God, God provides. We tithed, we were faithful with our first fruits, the proverb says. Be faithful with your first fruits and, with, and honor God with your wealth. What does that mean? It means we paid our tithe, we were faithful with what came in, and then we honored Him with our wealth. What does it mean to honor God with your wealth? It means that we don't blow it on every lustful desire or want that we had in our lives. So that we could give when people needed it. We had it. And I look back, and I've never been forsaken by God. I've never been found begging or wanting, and God is faithful. 
You can ask our board. I don't squabble over money. I don't beg for money. I don't fight about money. I don't, I, God provides. Always has and always will. Then they come and they say, you know what? We had water. We don't have food. We got no food. So God says, I'm going to show you the glory of God. Moses, go tell them they're going to see the glory of the Lord. In the morning, they'll have manna to eat. They'll have bread. After the dew would leave, it would leave little like coriander seeds or whatever, and it would taste like honey, and they could make wafers with it, all this kind of stuff. They said, Get, tell them they'll have that in the morning. In the evening, they'll have quail. They'll have meat in the evening. So morning, they had bread. Evening, they had quail. You say, Pastor, I didn't know that. I thought it was always manna. Go back and read it. You'll see it. It's there. They had it for 40 years, over 40 years. Approximately 40 years they had this manna from heaven until they crossed the river Jordan and they went into the promised land. Then they ate other people's food and lived in other people's houses. God provided. God gave them what they needed every single day. Now, it didn't land on their plate, amen. God didn't get up and say, Oh, I cooked you a gourmet meal for the day. Enjoy. Be lazy. No, God said, I'll put it outside. Go find it. It's like mushrooms. <laughs> well, I got to get up and go mushrooming again today. Go out and find it. Bring it in. See, God provides, folks. God gives. And not only that, but in Deuteronomy, Moses reminds the people and he tells them that in that 40-year period while they're there in Deuteronomy 8, Moses reminds them that through that time that their clothes and their sandals did not wear out. God supernaturally made their clothes last. Their needs were met. In light of all these things we see that God did, and God is not only able to do, He says He will provide these things. And Jesus encouraged His disciples that He would provide these things, and we were not to worry about them. Christ is your full provision. Jesus Christ is sufficient. He is all there is. And folks, I'm sick and tired of supposed church people coming and complaining about moral. We need this. We got to have this. Well, I can't do all this church. This all this church. Listen to me, folks. If Jesus Christ isn't sufficient for you, there's a problem. If it's always Jesus Christ and... He's got to be our sufficiency. He's got to be our all in all. He's got to be our everything. If we don't grasp that before we leave this world, we have missed it. In all things and everything, He is the light of the world. He is that cloud given by God. He is that light. He is our deliverer. He's leading us. He is the thirst quencher. In John chapter 4, follow on the screen, verse 13, Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. She kind of missed it a little bit. She was going to get thirsty again. Amen? But what Jesus was telling her, what I'm going to give you is going to provide everything you've ever wanted, everything you've ever desired. Your needs are going to be met. Your mouth may be dry again, and you may need to drink out of a cup, but I got something more. And out of this more flows everything else that you will ever need. He's the one that is the manna from heaven. He's the bread of life. In John 6, 35, then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. 
And he who believes in me will never be thirsty. See, the disciples would grow hungry, their stomachs would growl again, and they may have a dry mouth again, but they would never die of starvation, and they would never die of dehydration. Why? Because Jesus Christ was their sustenance. And he served, yes, he came in and he met the need of their spiritual hunger, and he met the need of their spiritual thirst, but none of them died because they were hungry, and none of them died because they were thirsty. Look at Luke again, verse 24. Luke 12, consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable are you than birds? Think about it, folks. Birds don't have to sow and reap. We do. We're expected to sow and reap. Amen? God put Adam into the garden and said, work it. And as I said before, he wasn't talking about dancing. Right? Provide for yourself out of the provision I have given to you. Pull out of it. And so we know and understand that those, those ravens, they don't even work and their needs are met. What about us who try? What about us who put forth an effort? What about us who are working, who are reaping and sowing? You can reap and sow in confidence, child of God, that your needs are going to be met. Not because you are such a great person, not because you are such a hard worker, but because you're willing and you have the Spirit of God inside of you and you are valuable to Him. You are more valuable than many sparrows. He is the one who clothes us. Genesis 3, verse 21. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. We know what this is. This is after Adam and Eve fell, after they'd sinned against God. God comes in, sacrifices an animal. The blood had to be shed for the forgiveness of their sins. And we say, oh, Pastor Bob, the garment's being wrapped around the individual as a representation of the covering of their sin by God and their nakedness now be covered up by God. Listen, they were clothed. Listen to what I'm saying. They sinned. Amen? They sinned. They found out they were naked. God said, I want to introduce you to something called clothing. And I'm going to give it to you. Yes, it's a representation of the forgiveness of their sins, but it also runs parallel with the fact that they had clothes on their body because God gave them to them. Now, they weren't Armani suits, mind you. They're more valuable than that by God because blood had to be shed for it. Folks, hear me very clearly this morning. All these things, all of these things are wrapped up in Christ. Jesus said this in Luke 12, verses 27, 28. Consider how the lilies grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor is dressed like one of these. That is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow, is thrown into the fire. How much more will he clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. It doesn't mean these flowers didn't have to spin and toil to be beautiful. You and I don't have to spin and toil or have a lot of money to be beautiful. I'm tempted to share something. I'll share it. We went to a promenade last night, not saying which school we're at or anything else, but we walked down a hallway, got there right on time, walked past some of these young ladies dressed up, beautiful dresses, gorgeous gowns. My wife hurrying in so she can get in there ahead of me. And one of those girls says, way to be on time, people. 
pleasant. And I just said, beauty that is external only is this deep. I don't know who said it. I don't care who said it. My point is this, folks. You can put a whole lot of makeup and dresses on people, but if they have an ugly heart, it ain't going to matter. Run for your life, young man. You know what I'm saying? Fix them up, make them look good, and that's all he's going to get. But when he's married to him, he's married to him. <laughs> Woo! Turn it. Run for your life. But this is what Jesus says he wants to do for us. In Luke 24, 49, it makes clear that he wants to clothe us with power from on high. In Galatians 3, it makes clear that we are clothed with Christ. In Revelation 19, it says that we have fine linen, bright and clean, and we're going to have that someday in eternity. Listen to me, folks. He is cleansing us, washing us, doing a work in us, and He is also going to provide for the daily need. You may not be dressed to the nines, but you ain't going to be naked, and you're going to be beautiful because of His presence in your life. Quit worrying about everything else. Quit wasting all your resources for beauty that's this thick. It's a waste of time. Don't misappropriate the importance of natural things above Christ. Look again, Luke 12, verses 29 through 31. I'm finishing up. And do not set your heart. Everybody say heart. Do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it, for the pagan world runs after all such things, and your Father knows that you need them. But seek His kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. The problem with our country is that we have set our heart on these things. We have set our heart on them, and we have worried about it, and we have toiled about it. We've got to spend hundreds and thousands of dollars on dainty foods and expensive things so that we can eat it and tell ourselves that we have arrived somewhere. We have to spend the money on expensive clothing, designer clothing, to make sure that we can present ourselves as though we have arrived somewhere. We're spending the money on the car so that we can beat our neighbors. We're fixing everything up so that we can show ourselves to be better than other people. Listen, folks, we teach them how to do it in high school. And then when we get out of school, we live life in the same manner. It's wrong. There is more to life than what we look like. There is more to life than what we're eating. There is more to life than some kind of a social status. God says, throw that stuff away. You don't need to pursue it. Listen, folks, clean yourself. Amen? Make yourself look decent. Right? Soap is cheap and water is free. Right? Clean yourself. Present yourself. But don't go crazy. You don't need to. Do what is necessary for the gospel's sake. If you come and you want to share the gospel and you smell like a mule, nobody's going to receive it from you. You say, Pastor Bob, John the Baptist lived in the wilderness and he wore uh, goat hair and ate locusts and wild honey. You better be a prophet if you're going to dress like that. (laughs) Amen. Do something with yourself, but don't worry about it. You're clothed with Christ. That's what's going to make you attractive, young ladies. 
Being clothed with the beauty of Christ is what's going to make you attractive. Young men being clothed with the presence of God and being a respectable, hardworking young man that fears the Lord and lives your life with integrity. Trust me, those young ladies that are clothed with Christ are going to be going, Hello, remember me? <laughs> I may not look like that, but I'm beautiful. I'm way off my notes, aren't I? We've got to be careful not to exalt the things because Israel wanted delivered from Egypt and then when she was delivered, she what? She wanted to go back. Remember, remember, when, we, remember when we used to get to eat leeks and garlics? How many of you like Olive Garden? I like leeks and garlic. You can smell Olive Garden from the interstate. It's like, oh, and you just pull in. Why are you here? I don't even know. <laughs> People say, I want leeks and garlic. Send us back to bondage. I don't care. Whatever it takes to have that. They had sufficient water but complained before they got it. And while they had quail of an evening, they wanted more meat. (laughs) He said, we want more meat. We want to replace our bread from heaven in the morning for natural meat. If you would, Lord. We like quail. And so God said, I'll tell you what. I'll send you lots of quail. I'll send you so much quail that it comes out your nose. And they get what? And they wake up and there's three feet of quail all over the camp in the morning. How about that? Trying to get the car out of the garage and you got three feet of quail. What are you doing, Bob? Shoveling quail again, man. Want some? Excuse me, I have to vomit. Folks, God will give us over to our lusts if we're not careful. Until we despise them, until we realize that I have given myself over to something that now has control over me, and I despise it. He wants our hearts. He does not want our hearts set on worldly things. As I have Devin and Liz come in closing, if we're people that are truly in need and their needs are not met, if we have people in our church or in our culture that have needs and those needs are not met, I'm going to tell you why. You want to know whose fault it is? It's not the government's. I appreciate the programs the government has set up. I appreciate the things they're doing to try to assist people with their needs. It's the church's fault. Because people, even ministers of God, are clothing themselves. I saw a guy here a while back, at a, he was an evangelist, and I sit there and I couldn't, I was too busy calculating how much money he was wearing on the stage. I bet you this man was wearing $1,500 and all he had on was jeans and a shirt. But between his watch and his pointy shoes, and I didn't even figure out what his haircut cost him. Now again, don't get me wrong, it, it, it's good to look nice, amen? You gotta look presentable. But at the same time, when we have people that are so consumed with things, leading people to be consumed with things, and they're taking all of their money and they're giving it to the man of God, and the man of God's buying more houses and more cars and boats, and the people are, are, are following the man of God, and they say, I want to be successful like the man of God, and I buy more houses and boats and cars, and they go into this deep debt, and they're, they're, they're living paycheck to paycheck. There's nothing there for anyone else's needs except for all of their lusts. 
So when somebody, a friend, says, you know, I need assistance, there's nothing there for them. There's nothing. And God did not build the church for us to build bigger barns and to serve ourselves and to die having missed out on what his plan was for our neighbor. Isn't this good? It's so good, isn't it? Isn't it good? Folks, that's why we have to seek first his kingdom. And if we pursue and place our hearts after his kingdom, his righteousness, his faithfulness, his love, his joy, his mercy, and all of those things being clothed with Christ, if that's more important to me than things, then I will have the supply of not only my needs, but God will honor my wealth because I've honored him with my wealth. And I will have a storehouse like, uh, like Joseph did in a time of need that he could pass things out. You know what? I have that. Let me bless you. I have that. Let me bless you. Thankfully, we've been blessed enough to be able to do that for a lot of years. And the good thing is, is my cars are not my cars. My house is not my house. My food's not my food. The money in the bank is not mine. It's God's. And we will use it how he sees fit. If we all lived that way, we would all be blessed. And we would be blessing the children of God. And we would also be blessing the lost and bringing them to a loving father. Amen. Isn't that good? That's good. You say, okay, pastor, I want to help people. I'm going to give you two things quickly, and then we're just going to pray and leave. Two things. I want to help people, but I want it to be anonymous, and I don't know how to do it to make sure it gets to them. All right, here's what you do. Find myself, me, Pastor Carla or Pastor Zach, immediately following a service or any time, call us through the week. And say, I want to bless so-and-so. I feel led of God to bless so-and-so financially or to pay this bill or do whatever else. And say, I want to do this for them. And I want to be anonymous. All you have to do is you bring that money in. We'll put it directly into the account. We'll write a check out for the same amount. We'll give it to the person from the church. And they'll say, who did this for me? We'll say, it was anonymous. Easy. Done. And we can bless somebody for you that you wanted blessed. You say, okay. Well, what if I have resources and I want to bless people, but I don't know who to bless. I don't want to offend somebody and assume that they need help or this one needs help or that. And say, listen, if you want to do that and you don't know who to give it to and you've prayed and sought God and you still don't have direction, we have what is called a benevolence fund at the church. On that little piece of paper, that envelope that we have in the backs of those pews, you can pull it out. It says benevolence. That means give your money away to somebody that needs it. That's what that means. You take it. You say, I'm going to put this much in the benevolence fund. You turn it into the offering. It goes in and we, we put it into that fund and people call and we need, that need help and we help them. We bless people every December. Our board, we sit down, we pray and, and discuss who it is that we can bless. We've blessed many families in our church and outside of our church and we continue to bless people. If you have needs, if people have needs, I can tell you this. We have always given away more for the need than we've ever had come in for the benevolence. And that's Okay. I love being a generous church. Do you know that we're a generous church? You're generous. Do you know that you blessed our missionary last week with $1,200 gift? It's a blessing to her. Do you know that when we took up an offering at Easter, it was over $8,000 toward the building program? Even when we said, Pastor, you're going into debt for the building program. Yes, we are, but it was planned in such a way that it doesn't strap us and that we can't be generous in between. We're good. It's okay. Continue to give. And God's being faithful with all of it. That's two ways you can help. Put that money in that benevolence fund. It's going to go to people who need it. It's designated for benevolence. That means Pastor Bob's not going to give himself a raise. 
or Pastor Carla or Pastor Zach or the board members. It's going to go to those who have needs. Don't set your heart on things, folks. Set your heart on Christ and he's going to be your supply to all of it. And he's going to bless you beyond that so that you can continue to bless others. And since you have been blessed, you can be a blessing to others. That's the plan of God. Not that we would build storehouses and barns that we can bless ourselves. 